Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, breathing is a behavior. The one thing we can control. And finding yourself in a Mexican prison. It's 2021. Welcome back. We didn't say this. Wow. Is, we didn't say this is obstacle. I know. Course. We just changed it. Are we going to keep new, this? New year, new house. I guess <laughs> there was no plan there. Here we go. <laughs> this is obstacle course. People know though. They yeah. Should know by now. If you don't know what podcast you're listening to, I think there's there's bigger problems at hand. But we're still fine with it because we appreciate the download. Totally. Hope you're enjoying it. So my gosh, what a way to start off the year, Andrew. Jeffrey Sorensen. Everybody, his story <laughs> is is beyond words. It's yeah. it's out of control. It was <laughs> it was very much out of control. Oh, his life um, from addiction and mental health and abuse to ending up in a, a Mexican jail. Yeah. How many times did he say in this podcast? Well, and then I ended up in jail. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, he's writing a book about it right now. Yep. And so this is like a 60 minute glimpse, folks. Like you, you're going to, if you're like, oh man, I barely got enough of that story. Perfect. Because mm-hmm. he, you're going to get the full story in, in a, probably a couple of years. <laughs> so you're going to have to wait. Yeah. I believe the book is, is hoping to be released within 2021, but it might, um, you know, we, we don't really know how books work or no. those timelines, but we're we're excited for it because... We came away being like, wow, there was so much more to tell. And I'm just so intrigued um, after ending the conversation. So it, it's a it's a doozy. It's a it's a whirlwind. Um, so much to tell. And, and uh, I think you're you're really going to get a lot out of it because the, the best part of the story is, we're, you know, we're not just here sharing incredible stories. We're, we're sharing stories with with great ending points. Yeah. And, and he's showing that hero's journey of, of now that he's been through all of this uh all of these ordeals uh he's teaching what he's learned and he's he's guiding people to overcome their own ordeals and folks please make sure you get to the end of this episode because it's not until like the 40 minute mark when he just drops the fact that he was part of a mexican cartel at one point yeah (laughs) Yeah. which which was crazy i mean Mm -hmm. it's just that's just one of many things that happen yeah so one of the one of the things i think about when i think of his story is what a hard life and that's my transition, Andrew, for, okay. you, for you to talk about why on earth in a year that was already super hard, probably one of the hardest years for civilization, you decided to do a challenge called what, 75 hard? 75 hard, yeah. And and now you're doing it as well. You're yeah. you're on board. Six the days hard in. train. And it I can't even compare what Jeff Jeff's no. life was like. Yeah, to, we should to say we're not trying to compare. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> um it, it's uh this was a uh, completely um this was all all my choice and it was doing 75 hard basically there's a few components to it um one of them is two workouts a day yeah those workouts can look like any kinds of different one's got to be outside one has to be outside yeah. that's a requirement uh every day you're doing it every day for 75 days you're drinking at least four liters of water you're um you are reading reading, reading at least 10 pages a day yeah. of non-fiction something that's bettering yourself ideally uh, if it worsens yourself, then you probably should pick a new book. Yeah. Um, and as well, there's a dietary component, which can look different depending on, on what your health is like or what you're trying to eliminate out of your diet. Um, we, for example, didn't eat anything with any sort of sugar in it for, for that period of time, which apparently there's sugar in everything. Did uh, you have fruit, though? Yes. Natural, yeah. not naturally occurring processed stuff. Processed sugars. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Any sort of processed sugar or added sugar. Yeah. Yeah, so completed that. And the reason why, you, you asked, um, really just because it, it created discipline. And it 
it was um it was the jump start that i needed in in the dark year that was 2020 for for a lot of people and for a lot of reasons but um i was lacking motivation and needed something to kind of propel my myself and and with sarah as well we kind of just needed that that push and and for whatever reason pushing yourself in in this way through 75 hard um it, as hard as it was at times it enabled me to be more fulfilled and feel good about what I was doing, and and it and it raised a lot of other things up, including the, our business and and um, just our livelihood in general. I just have one one follow up question. Um, a lot of those things you've kind of you were already doing, like you were you're a guy who tends to work out most days. You guys do already follow a pretty good diet. I mean, you you're vegetarian. Um, you you read all the time. So what what part did you find to be the hardest? Um, I mean, the, the kind of ironic thing is it, it sounds a lot harder than it is. The, the hardest thing was really, um, just staying present and just like doing the task at hand and not thinking about something in the future, not, not projecting negativity into the future is Mm -hmm. one, one big takeaway I had. Um, and just, just enjoying the, the hard things. Mm -hmm. Um, it, we, we took on the mantra of like, we can do hard things basically. And then it became like, we choose to do hard things. And then like we become better by doing hard things. And, mm. and now we seek out hard things to, to do. And, and so just really getting, because it's not that hard to do, to get up in the morning and do a workout. Like for, for some, it may be if it's not part of the routine, but, but that's not the hard part. It's really the discipline and the, the dedication and, um, and changing our mindsets. Well, and you know, Angie has agreed to do this with me, which is, which is amazing. Um, and one of the reasons she said she chose to do it is because there is quite a bit of flexibility, even though it's pretty legalistic. Like you do have to do those things each day, but for instance, you can pick the workout. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be like the most high intense workout ever created by man. For you sure. can go for a walk in the evening, which I know you and Sarah did a lot of and, and came to treasure. Mm-hmm. I remember you said, you know, a, a 10 o'clock walk at night is about the most refreshing thing you can do for your mind. Yeah. We've experienced that already as well you know absolutely there there are some rigid rules but yeah. but also a, a opportunity for control yeah so yeah that's that's 75 hard in a nutshell and and we we can both share a lot more about our experiences you're currently right at just getting yeah, going one in weekend it. yeah <laughs> um so there's a lot more that is going to come come up and i'm sure we'll share that but uh for now um hopefully this isn't too hard to listen to um <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to use that. <laughs> no, you have to. No, you have to. I won't. Um, this this episode is incredible, and I'm, I'm sure you'll be riveted as we were when listening to it. Enjoy, folks. We're back. We're live with with Jeff Sorensen here. The leader of the Breath Army. I don't know what what is your actual. Do you have a, a title that you give yourself within the within the Breath Army? I call myself the founder. of okay. Breath Army, not yeah. general. Yeah. <laughs> Commander in chief. Commander in chief. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So we're going to talk a lot about the Breath Army. We're going to talk about um, what brought you to breath work and and the incredible life story that that you're about to share with us because it it is it. It's one full of inspiration and and challenges and 
turbulence, um, which is why you're here today. Um, and the, the best part about your story is that you're now teaching others and, and you're leading them through um, some, some difficult times of their own. So it's awesome work that you do. And um, if you want to just start, Jeff, by introducing the concept of breath work, what, what is it for someone who has no experience in it whatsoever? Well, breathwork is the act of consciously controlling our respiration in order to influence the different processes in our body and as a result, uh, increase performance, health, uh, overall well-being, and really be able to get into our nervous system and control our state, create more desirable states within our body. Yeah, I can't imagine a thing we as humans take more for granted than than our breath Mm -hmm. and and i think that's why we need people might might be thinking why do we need someone to tell us how to breathe and it's it's, you know i breathe all the time yeah it's the most (laughs) i can't live without it you know it's the most elementary thing we do but it's i think it's more connecting with your breath right being aware because as we know we can breathe without our permission right our body does fine without us we sleep for you know eight hours and our breath still happens it's one of those autonomic processes so why do we need you know, someone like yourself to, to show us how to tap and connect in to our breath. Yeah, that's one of the really interesting things about the breath is that it is this unconscious process that happens without our awareness and keeps us alive. And that we also have this, this key and this ability to consciously control it. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that breathing is a behavior And so like any behavior, we pick up uh, beneficial behaviors and ones that can be detrimental to our health and our well-being. And so through different experiences that we go through in our life, we modify our breathing behavior. And oftentimes that's not to our benefit. And so by taking or by bringing conscious awareness to our breath, and by understanding how to utilize and leverage different techniques in order to create more desirable states within our body, we can really access that fundamental process that is sustaining our life. And we can guide that in a way that leads us towards optimal performance. Hmm. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is it's really one of those cases where we need to get out of our own way sometimes and unlearn bad habits um, that have come from who knows what. It could have been past traumas. It could have been uh, our own experience. It could have been passed along or learned behavior from people around us. But it's it. what I'm hearing you say is it's really about like unlearning bad habits and kind of going back to the natural state. Absolutely. I think a, a lot of people don't understand how much potential they have and many of us go through our lives living at a certain level performing at a certain level and and we just think that's kind of who we are and really my job a lot of the time is to uh, bring more awareness to how much potential is within each and every one of us and whether that's um, somebody like yourselves or whether that's an elite performer um, like ourselves athlete. yeah also, yes, also exactly. like ourselves For yeah sure absolutely <laughs> i'm really really trying to open their eyes to how much room for growth there there really is and really how much potential we have 
Cool. You know, Jeff, one thing we do know about entrepreneurs is often they're starting their business venture because they're trying to solve a problem in the world or for themselves or maybe both. And so what I'm wondering, and we're going to get to your story here, here uh, I think, fairly quickly, and but maybe as a transition point to that story, um, I, I'm curious about um, how this has played out in your life. Like, I'm, um, have, you, have you always naturally been connected to your breath, or is this through, like, going through shit, basically, that has caused, <laughs> that's forced you to, to embark on this path. And it's quite the journey. I mean, you, you've met some Wim Hof, you know, you've trained with him. You've talked with Patrick McGowan and his amazing book, The Oxygen Advantage. I mean, you've, you've talked with actually some of the experts in the world on this, but it must have started somewhere um, at an elemental mm. level where you were like, I really need to up my breath game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I would say 20 years ago, I kind of fell into that first camp that we talked about where I, I thought I was breathing and, you know, I couldn't, couldn't imagine how uh, bringing more awareness to that would, would change my life. But uh, it was really through my own struggles and really trying to find a, a lifeline and a way out of the, the mental health and drug addiction issues that I was experiencing that I found yoga and started to understand how dysfunctional my breath was. And that led me on this journey. And, and I really agree with what you said that I, I think often um, we teach or we, we share in the world the, the things that we're, we're most interested in or need to understand um, at a greater depth for ourselves. And, and that's really what led me to going so deeply down this rabbit hole and, <laughs> and traveling around the world and seeking out these different experts to really understand. And, and then through seeing that transformation in myself, really being feeling compelled to share that with other people. Awesome. Yeah. So at this point, it would be great to kind of transition back in time into those, um, those darker times uh, into the, as John so eloquently puts it, the shit um, and, <laughs> And really um, trying, yeah, helping people understand kind of what what has brought you here. Really, like the the work that you do now is is so important to you for for a very good reason. It's because of um, how how dangerous and and how challenging um, your your the past uh, was for you. So if we could kind of if we could use the you you mentioned mental health and addiction. When did those first become apparent for you that you, you had these challenges? What, um, where, where is the best place to begin there? Well, I think even from fairly early childhood, there's, there's been a, or there was a struggle that was going on and a, a sense that, that there is really more to life and, and, you know, as a as a kid, I went through some some pretty challenging things um, in my early years, and went through different forms of abuse and sexual abuse and mental abuse and physical abuse, and and I think there was an awareness that something wasn't quite right. And you know, I I went through high school and did very well in school and graduated valedictorian in my class and, and people would, 
would ask me, you know, what are you going to do when you graduate? And what amazing thing are you going to, um, what career are you going to pursue? And, and, you know, and I would answer with, you know, generally my answer was to become a doctor. And, hmm. But underneath that, there was uh, an awareness that really all I wanted to do was just feel, you know, in, in air quotes, normal. Hmm. And, you know, and I think over time that that goal kind of shifted from normal to happy to feeling peace. And I don't really think it was until after I left home and after I left my hometown and uh, wound up in Vancouver going to university that I, I really started to become more, more aware that there was there was something that just wasn't quite right um, in my brain and I was really struggling with um, you know at that point I didn't even really know what depression was I didn't know what anxiety was but I, I just knew that I didn't feel good mm -hmm. and I knew that I didn't want to feel that way for the rest of my life so I've I've kind of been on this path for a long time um, you know when I got into university and um, I had been drinking in high school and, you know, like I think a lot of high school students do, there's a lot of binge drinking and that carried over into university. And I think that use of, of alcohol and, and how that led into drug use, that started to kind of amplify the issues that I was experiencing. And I was using those tools as a way to try and kind of get out of my mind and, and seek some kind of peace but at the end of the day i think that they were just making things worse over time so i think as as that escalated and i eventually moved back to my hometown of revelstoke and i uh, got got further and further into that lifestyle of, of drinking and kind of the classic uh, progression of marijuana and psychedelics and hard drugs um, you know, it, it just become, became more and more apparent that, um, that I couldn't continue on that path without taking a deeper look at what was going on. And Something that you mentioned to me was when, when you left the, the abuser or abusers that had been plaguing you in your life, then you began to uh, abuse yourself with, with drugs and alcohol. Um, that's an expression that, that you used when we had our first conversation. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of go go into that idea a little bit more because I'm, I'm sure that it's something that has plagued others as well and, and affected people so I'm, I'm curious about the, the mentality of that how, how would you characterize now that that relationship um, did, did you think that the abuser or abusers still kind of had a hold on you and, and that's why you were going to the drugs and alcohol or did you feel like um, you were someone who was abused and then you were kind of continuing to abuse yourself because that's the only way you knew i think that we we have a tendency as humans to seek out what we know and so you know if you've kind of come from an environment where where something like abuse has been um, a huge part of your life I, I think that we we seek out similar ways to elicit those those same physiological responses but then there, there's also the psychological component as well, where there's a, a lack of a sense of self-worth. 
um, a sense of, of just not deserving to, to feel joy, to feel love, to whatever it may be. And so we create the circumstances to affirm that in our lives. And I think that's what I was doing is, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I was continuing to punish myself. And that was a theme that I experienced for years where, where something really good would happen. You know, and I see this in a lot of people, um, something really remarkable will happen in our lives. And then we go out and we just destroy ourselves, <laughs> you know, and yeah. just, you know, we'll go out for a night on the town, which um, initially starts out as some kind of a celebration, but mm. but eventually just leads us into this hole of, of feeling awful. Yeah, yeah, it's such that's such a wise point you just brought up about how that that celebration can all of a sudden just go sideways and turn into something awful, or perhaps a new a new habit that uh, we don't want. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering if you received um, therapy. Um, before before this this um, new habit of, of drug use started, um, because that that's got I can't imagine what that was like as a child to experience those those levels of abuse. Um, were you, were you able to talk to a professional? Um, I, I'm not sure how, how involved your parents were in that in that journey. I um, I didn't seek out help until I was in my twenties, and I did try the conventional routes of uh, talk therapy through counselors and the psychologist. And um, I tried the conventional Western medical route of antidepressants and anti-anxiety and all sorts of different pharmaceutical drugs. But at that point, I was already um, well on my way into drug and alcohol abuse. And mm. so I was never, you know, I don't know that I was completely upfront about my own um, attempts to self-medicate. And so really that route didn't, um, didn't have a, as great of an impact as it potentially could have. I'm, I'm not sure that, um, that it would have been the solution in either case. Um, but, but I never, never had the opportunity to, um, utilize those tools while I was in a, a state of uh, clear mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. So um, we, we kind of both interrupted a little bit as, as you were you were kind of going through the chronological place. So if, if we can kind of jump back into um, you returning to Revelstoke, and I, I believe uh, one morning you, you, after being back in Revelstoke and, and this self-destructive behavior, you kind of just decided to like make a break for it, so to speak, and, and just kind of hit the road. And do you want to take us back to that, um, that choice and, and kind of what led up to it? Uh, I'd gone back to Revelstoke and had gone back to work in forestry. And through my 20s, I had a number of different accidents. And I think what many people experience that that have had traumatic uh, childhoods is a, a lack of body awareness and so i'd had a couple of accidents at work and um, really I'd, I'd had three near-death experiences between 19 and 31 mm -hmm. and so i had one very shortly after i moved back to revelstoke and 
I kind of shook up my world and shook my foundations a little bit and kind of I had a very kind of black and white science perspective on the world. I thought everything could be explained by science and and didn't really have a lot of room for anything outside of that and and had a little bit of an experience where it you know where it left my body and and just seen this different perspective of life and and then just kind of went back into my old way of being and and tried to kind of forget about that experience and just go back into drugs and alcohol and and previous patterns and then towards my late 20s i had another accident which was quite severe and was really quite shaken up had had another um, out-of-body experience near-death experience can you share a little bit more about that that um in detail about that out-of-body experience and kind of it it's something that I i think many of us have no concept of so what but we've maybe heard heard the idea. But from from yourself, who's who's experienced that, can you describe what what that might have been like? And I assume this is different than an out of body experience that you might find when taking drugs, for, for <laughs> instance, right? Or or using different forms of breath work. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. On <laughs> um, yeah, th- this particular accident on. Um, I was at work in a remote location north of Revelstoke and I was going up to work one morning and rolled a a four-wheeler and I had landed on my back and basically the four-wheeler landed in my mouth which was bad enough but but um, part of the issue as well was that we we were a very long ways away from the hospital so it, it took us four or five hours to get to the hospital at which time uh, I was bleeding pretty profusely and had some complications at the hospital and the doctor had decided to transport me by ambulance to Kelowna from Revelstoke which was about a two and a half hour drive and so the paramedics came to pick me up and had decided according to their protocols that um, a hard collar and spine board would be in order for me because i'd had a hand injury that day Uh, and and the people the people listening won't have the uh, ability to see but i have a, a large scar kind of from my ear to the corner of my mouth and so when the paramedics placed a hard collar up underneath that, that really opened up all the clotting that had occurred over those four or five hours. And then I was placed on my back on a spine board. And so all that blood that was bleeding out at that time was uh, going down into my stomach, uh, into my lungs. And I was lying on my back, unable to move. And so I was placed in the back of the ambulance with a nurse. And of course, the, the nurse wasn't particularly familiar with being in the back of a, of a high-speed moving ambulance. And so every time I would need to throw up because I was bleeding and swallowing all that blood, uh, and she was asking the ambulance to pull over. And so 
we would pull over and she would turn me over onto my side and I would throw up the blood and then she would put me back on my back and then I would swallow some more blood and we'd go five minutes down the highway and then uh, we would pull over again I would throw up and and it was getting to a point where where I was really starting to to lose my connection I guess to to my body and is starting to drift out of my body and started to just kind of see this whole experience playing out um, from a, a different vantage point and hmm. and just had an awareness at that point that there there was kind of there is a very clear choice of continuing um, that experience or just uh, continuing to drift off and um, leaving my body and and leaving that life and and it was kind of an interesting thing because there was also an awareness that if i decided to go back and in, into my body that there was that was going to come with a great deal of suffering and i just wasn't quite ready to leave at that point and decided that um, that I wanted to come back into my body and and fight and and continue in this experience and so it was um, there was that decision was made and that it was just a a very abrupt um, just return into the body and at that point I um, I pulled myself out of the spine board and and basically just started yelling for the paramedics to take me back to the hospital uh, because I wasn't going to make it to Kelowna uh, the way that we were going. And so we we ended up going back to the hospital in Revelstoke and the doctor there sewed up the injury and I was intubated and knocked out and flown to Kelowna to the ICU. Wow. I mean, what what a harrowing story! It's 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 difficult to even you know follow that up with with any you know question that would um, honor that story. But um, mm-hmm. you know, well, just... I think I can just I can lead from that story, kind of get back on track to to where we were before that. Yeah, um, go sure. ahead, please. Um, so I I ended up in the the ICU and in the hospital in Kelowna, and I really didn't like being there. Um, so I, I very quickly um, decided that I was going to leave the hospital and, and go back home. But I was living by myself at that point. And so being being at home and and coming off of the, the morphine drip that I had in the hospital was um, a pretty, pretty rude awakening. And, um, and that was the point where I really started to uh, go into that that darkness of the the mental health issues, and while they had had been there for for quite a long time, it was that period of time that uh, that I really started to struggle, and was offered on um, pharmaceutical painkillers to help deal with the pain. And of course, I had had some experience with recreational drugs and and welcomed those in. And um, and at a certain point, a couple of years after, or I guess, sorry, about um, six months to a year after, 
and that was the first wave of OxyContin to the west coast of Canada. And so at that point, Workers' Compensation Board was was pretty excited about this new longer-acting painkiller that um, that they wanted to switch everybody to. So I switched over to OxyContin, which interestingly for the first year or so of my use was uh, one of the better years of my life because I, I didn't feel the same pain. I didn't have the same um, challenges that I was experiencing mentally because there's just a, a numbness that that kind of cleared or um, masked those those issues that I was dealing with. But then after several years of, of using, became highly addicted to the OxyContin. And at that point, there wasn't really a lot of help to, to come off of um, painkillers as there is now. And so I kind of looked around for, for help through treatment and was starting to not only uh, be heavily addicted to the pharmaceuticals, but was trying to kind of balance that out with uh, street drugs as well. And just got to a point where um, my mental health issues were getting so bad that I, I just realized that, um, that something had to change. So I decided to start to go off all the drugs. And so I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication at that time along with the painkillers and the street drugs and so I started with the pharmaceuticals and and came off the antidepressants came off the anxiety medications and started to wean myself off of the painkillers and that was quite a, a long challenging process um, but eventually I did get off of those uh, but was heavily addicted to street drugs. And really at that point, just was, had an acute awareness that, that the only way that I was really going to get clean or find some relief to the mental health challenges was to go far, far away where I could literally become a new person. And I knew that I needed to to leave everything that I knew behind and leave all the people that I knew and who knew me because I, I recognized that I was, I was kind of locked in a mold of who I thought I was and who other people thought I was. And especially being in a small town, I think that can be challenging. And so I, I was really actively, you know, within my, my heavy drug use, trying to figure a way that I could uh, get out of the country to um, go somewhere warm and sunny and just try and work my way through all the things that I was dealing with at that point. And so it certainly sounds like you were taking everything on. I, like I have not once heard you talk about kind of any sort of positive supports in, in that period of your life um, when there was so much trauma and and abuse and and just um addiction yeah addiction just it was all around you and and like i'm i'm just astounded like how how are you able to kind of find that clarity in terms of what you actually really needed and and did you have am i mistaken that there were people around you or, or were you really kind of just doing this um 
just trying to take the best care of yourself despite the circumstances. Um, I think it was more the latter and that I was trying to take care of myself. Um, you know, I'd, it wasn't a case that there wasn't people in my life that, you know, that cared about me. There's, there was people that cared about me deeply, but I think because of my previous experiences as well, there was a, a deep sense of, of mistrust of other people. And so I, I wasn't particularly open to allowing other people into that process as well. And, and so that was one of those cases where I knew that I needed to leave and I was going to do that no matter what or what anybody else thought or, or thought was best for me. Hmm. Um, I knew that that was the thing I needed to do. Jeff, Jeff, going back to the ambulance, um, you, you told the story as if you had a choice whether or not to live or die. Why did you choose to come back to your body and continue with this life? You know, I could give a lot of answers that um, might be insightful or... Insight's great. I think at the, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think really it's fear. You know, I think I don't think I was ready to die. I think I was scared to die at that point. And I, mm -hmm. I think there was also a sense that I just wasn't done. Mm-hmm and that I had more to do. And, and you know, I've, for a very long time, I've just had a sense that, that there is something that I needed to share with the world and a reason why I needed to continue. And, you know, there's a lot of times where I went through periods of, of not wanting to live or wanting to take my own life. And, the reason why I couldn't is it, it just was this, this sense of or belief that I had something to do in this life that, that hadn't been done yet. I think for a really long time, even from far before I, I understood the conditions that I was experiencing, I just wanted to, to help other people not experience the same thing that I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. Um, so if we can, that that early morning in Revelstoke when uh, when you decided that enough was enough and, and you needed change, how did you um, how did you actually make it out of there? Because I think there's a bit of a story in this in terms of where where you ended up and, and how you got there. So do you want to just take us through take us through that? I I didn't have a vehicle anymore. So it, it was um, hard for me to figure out a, a way to get out of the country without a vehicle. And and in that point where I was using so many drugs, um, really, I was just kind of trying to figure a way out and trying to figure out how to get a vehicle. And not a lot of people wanted to to give me a loan or, or even deal with me at that point. And, and so finally, one morning or one day, um, I received a, a phone call from a, a dealership uh, in Langley and they had a, a truck for me. And so I'd, I rented a car in Revelstoke and, uh, and drove down to the coast and went and picked up this truck and drove back to Revelstoke and loaded up my stuff. I had my dog with me and we just took off. It was I was just waiting for 
for that piece of the puzzle to to be solved and so as soon as i had a vehicle i was gone and did you feel like at that moment you're running away or running to something oh for sure i was running away mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, you know at that point i was dealing with a lot of psychosis and having a, a hard time um, differentiating between what was real and what wasn't real and Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of storylines playing in my head at that point, um, so I was I was definitely running away and and running as as quickly as I could to to get out of that situation. And you you eventually ended up in Mexico, but I, from what I recall, there was some uh, some issues with authorities on the way there. So did even just crossing the border, um, which in in today's day and age is uh, probably harder to do than than it might have been back then what 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 happened when you when you were in the process of crossing the border well, i think it was pretty obvious that that i wasn't somebody that um that they they wanted <laughs> in the united <laughs> states and so there's you know there's kind of a long story around that um what happened at the border but uh, and the shorter version of that story is that um, that they they found some drug residue in my vehicle, and um, and so I spent the night in jail there and got returned back to Canada. And and of course, at at that point, I was pretty hell bent on on getting out of Canada. So I decided to um, make another try. So I. That was um, just south of Winnipeg that I tried to cross the border. And so I drove back up to Winnipeg and continued my way across Canada and and eventually ended up in Ontario and made another attempt at crossing the border and eventually made it through um, into the States at that point. And um, I knew a, I had a friend in Columbus, Ohio, and she had offered me a place to stay so it while I knew I I needed to get far away, um, I didn't really have any kind of plan of, of where I was going to go. Or... When people think of somewhere sunny and warm to escape to, they probably don't immediately yeah. associate that with Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, or yeah, for sure. <laughs> but um, in my mind at that time, it it seemed like a good place to kind of regroup, and it was somewhere away from where I was and kind of outside of the the um just the world that i was living in at that time so i I decided to go and and visit her there in ohio and spent some time in columbus and um, not surprisingly was was using drugs got picked up um, on a drug buy there in in columbus and spent a few weeks in in jail in columbus and eventually got out um, to deport myself on my own recognizance um, back to Canada, which I didn't do. <laughs> and um, I kind of hid out there uh, north of Columbus for a couple of months trying to figure out um, exactly how I was going to continue on my path. I didn't have access to um, my money at that time. There had been some 
things that had occurred while I was in jail that prevented me from from accessing my money, but I also didn't want to go back to Canada. So I just kind of laid low and worked at a campground and stayed in my tent um, for a couple of months. And then all of a sudden I had a realization that I still had a house in Revelstoke that I could sell. And I was out on weed whacking one morning at this campground and, and, um, this whole idea came into my mind that um, that I had this house and I thought of this person that might buy the house. So I went and called him on the payphone and hmm. asked him if he would be interested in buying my house and gave him a really good offer. And he said he would. And he also said that he would wire me $10,000 cash. And so with that, I bought an RV trailer and got that all kitted out to make my break down to Mexico. So, you know, I think we can probably imagine a little bit, but, you know, you've used words like anxiety and depression and, and your frequent drug drug use. But the question I had was, what, how would you describe your relationship with your breath at this point? Non-existent. Yeah, there, there is... There's no awareness that um, that that would have any impact on my my mental health or or state or you know I think really at that time you know there's I really just didn't even have an understanding of of physiology or psychology or how those things interacted and and so at that point I think I really still felt little bit like a puppet in that, you know, I, I didn't understand at that point how much control I had mm-hmm. over my state. I felt like I was at the mercy of different situations and circumstances that I was experiencing. And I didn't realize how much control I had over my response to that. I was still yeah. in reactivity at that point. So just reacting in survival mode to whatever it was that came up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you were you're in your RV. I'm, I'm getting some um, some Breaking Bad <laughs> yeah. images coming to mind. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but John yeah. and I both uh, both experienced it. So in your RV heading down to Mexico in his underwear. Yeah, in his yeah. Tight, <laughs> yeah. How far from the truth are we currently, Jeff? <laughs> You know, I, I I wasn't using much at that time. I was I was pretty clean, and because of my situation, I was quite aware that um, that if I got caught for anything at that point, that that I was going back to Canada, that I was not going to be able to um, go through with um, with what I wanted to do. So. So it was pretty clean at that point, but it was it was still pretty sketchy, and um, yeah, it was um, it was quite a journey, and I had some some help along the way, and um, yeah, eventually ended up in Texas and kind of got all all my ducks in a row when I was in Texas with somebody who I had met in Ohio who had agreed to kind of help me out and and ensure that I, I did indeed make it across the border into Mexico and, and uh, didn't get rejected. So 
So eventually it ended up um, crossing the border into Mexico. And yeah, so I just headed off on the highways and, and made my way to Mazatlan and kind of crash landed at the end of that to, in an RV park. You made it to Mexico. You're, you achieved your goal and, and, and you started learning yoga um, when you were there. But then you ended up in jail in Mexico as well so um I, I know there's a lot a lot of story there but um do you want to just explain how uh how those next that next period went yeah well i think you brought up an interesting point that that mexico was my goal but i i didn't have any kind of a plan for after i got there other right. than just to to get better right, right. yeah and so i i got to mexico and and it was, um, I felt pretty lonely and a long ways away from home and without a clear plan. And so at that point, I had received the, the rest of the money from the sale of the house. And for the first couple of months that I was in Mazatlan, just fell right back into partying and, um, and drug use and alcohol and and after a couple of months and and a couple of um, different experiences, realized that that more than likely I was I was going to either die from as a result of my drug use, um, somebody was going to kill me, and um, at that point nobody knew where I was. You know, I hadn't talked to my family, hadn't talked to any friends. And I realized that there's a very good chance that I was going to wind up dead on the floor of that RV and nobody was going to know who I was. So um, as I say, that's, that was a very sobering realization. And I had already, um, even while I was using drugs, started to uh, practice yoga. And with that practice, um, there's just a sense of relief that came with that and a sense of peace and a, a deeper connection um, to myself. Eventually that led to a deeper connection with my breath and an awareness of how dysfunctional my breathing was and what that was creating in my life. So I, I really just at that point uh, dove into that practice of yoga and and really just wanted to to live a, a clean life and just work hard at that point. And so I had opened up a restaurant and really just um, put myself into that. I started teaching yoga and was just really working hard to uh, just be, be a, a normal person, whatever that meant. Mm -hmm. and, but the big problem was is that I had spent a lot of money um, in those few months of partying and had really or underestimated how much it was going to cost to, to reestablish my life um, in a different location. And this wasn't making enough money um, through the restaurant to support myself in the way that I wanted to. And got to the end of a, a season and, and realized that I didn't have enough money to pay my rent uh, in the house that I was renting, as well as the restaurant. And and that was a bit of a turning point. And 
I had met somebody who worked with the Sinaloa cartel uh, when I drove into the trailer park when I first arrived in Mazatlan. Um, I was directed uh, to an RV space that was beside another motorhome. And um, that was a little bit more of the Breaking Bad scenario yeah. <laughs> going on with that motorhome. Um, it was owned by the cartel and I, I got to know the fellow that owned it. And at that point, he had, he had asked me to, to go to work for him. And I, I, you know, at that point, I just wanted nothing to do with that world. But at that point where, um, where I didn't have enough money to, to survive or keep going uh, or get myself back to Canada, um, one thing led to another. And um, eventually, I ended up um, in a jail in Mexicali, and, um, and spent two years in in Ceriso, Mexicali. They called it, and um, yeah, that was a, a challenging experience as well. You know, one of the great learnings that's that has come out of your story, Jeff. There's so many, um, and I, I do want to, uh, you know, dig into a little bit of what you just said, but. But one of the overall things is it's so easy and you're definitely not the first person to do this in this room even, <laughs> but it's so easy to believe that geography is our problem. You know, if we just move or if we just go somewhere else or exit whatever we're doing, that perhaps everything, all our problems and all of our addictions and, and issues or bad habits will just stay in that, you know, location and not follow us. But as you quickly realized, um, you were the problem, <laughs> and <laughs> and that's that's something we all realize is um, we can't run from ourselves. Um, we bring all of our stuff with us, and so in some ways, I guess it's not too surprising that you fell back into those same habits, especially when you said you were alone. I mean, um, connection is a is a prime primal need of every human being. When you're not connected, we'll do almost anything, and so it, it makes sense that you begin to establish connections that perhaps weren't as healthy for you um and then it, you know here you find yourself one day connected with the local cartel which is which is you know got to be a story in itself but uh i don't imagine that was part of the plan <laughs> when, when you when you left <laughs> but but here well, you found yourself yeah it's interesting uh, that you bring that up and and uh, my best friend uh, all through my 20s, who's, who's no longer with us. But um, before I left, he, he said something to me that that really stuck with me on that whole journey. And, you know, as I mentioned, I had all sorts of different storylines and narratives and going through my head in that state of psychosis. And and he said to me, you know, if, if you go somewhere else and everything stays the same, then you'll know that it's you mm-hmm. that screwed up and right. it's not the world. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and so when I did arrive there and I was experiencing the same things, um, I realized that, yes, it, it was me that I had to change. And that was such a powerful realization, incredibly empowering, because at that point I started to take responsibility for my actions and my thoughts. And I started to dive deeper into how all those things are related and how that relates to the world that we create around us. And, uh, you know, so I was, I was well onto that path when I wound up in jail in Mexicali and 
and also cognizant of that I, I had led myself there. Yeah, and just in terms of being in jail in Mexicali, um, which for anyone listening, I'm sure that they have these crazy ideas of what Mexican prisons look like. Um, but w- were there any moments for you, Jeff, that when you were in there, you're like, if it, anything crazy that happened that w- you just step back and you thought, how am I here? Like, yeah. how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Multiple times a day, every day, yes, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, it's a bizarre world. And and it's interesting because it's even hard for me to remember what it was like because it was so far outside of the constructs of what my mind uh how my mind perceives or what it perceives as an acceptable reality. You know, it's just so far outside of, of what we know that, that it's hard to even remember some of those experiences. Um, but yeah, it's yet, uh, it's a different world for sure. And uh, yeah, it was there. I don't think there was a day that, that went by, that I didn't wonder uh, if I was going to be able to make it through that day. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so two years of that is, is a long time, but, yeah. um, but also significantly shorter than how long I could have been there. So I was thankful to have had the, the practices that I did going in and I had my yoga practice. I had my meditation practice. I had awareness of my breath. I had an awareness of how my thoughts and the words that I spoke and the energy that I put out and created my reality. And I really credit that to um, why why I got out and why that um, stay was as short as it was. The only question I have about their cartel experience, Jeff, because I know you really can't speak too much about that for, for obvious reasons, but uh, how did you get out? Um, yeah, that, that that's a long story. And, um, you know, a, a lot of it comes down to um, different opportunities that exist within the, the Mexican legal system, some potential loopholes within that system, and finding somebody that was able to uh, act on those. Okay. And so it's, I, I have to leave some things for the book that I'm writing right now. So. Oh, you got a book on <laughs> the go. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. for, for a good reason, <laughs> like there, there's a lot of material here. Yeah. There is. Um, yeah. So, and, and with that in mind, um, and, and because we are a podcast that, that aims to be around an hour and not, not a, not a 300 page expose which will be amazing and i can't wait to to see that come to fruition but um it the natural jump is from mexican prisons to wim hof i yeah, think yeah normally um, he I, looks like he's from a mexican prison actually <laughs> yeah do you, you you um you managed to get through those 2 years you you had you emerged on your feet somehow through what you'd been through and and then you kind of just dedicated yourself to to wellness um is is at least my version of of 
what happened. Um, but how did you um, how did you find yourself training with with Wim Hof and and really um, being all in on on the this wellness journey? Well, I, I think you know even before that, um, I just went all in on getting myself reestablished in life and just really taking care of the basics. And so that was when I, I did my paramedic training and, and I, I realized as soon as I got back, you know, like I, I had loved teaching yoga when I was in Mazatlan, but I also didn't feel particularly called to jump right back into that. Uh, just the, the way things work here and, in North America, I, re- I recognized that that probably wasn't going to lead to a successful, lucrative career. So I, you know, I focused on just building a financial base underneath myself. The guy in the in the RV beside you from the from the trailer park isn't the best reference when you're uh, <laughs> when you're trying to get your get yourself reestablished. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like give give Miguel a call. <laughs> Miguel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, for sure. um, so, yeah, the first summer that I was back, I went, I was working on the oil rigs as a medic at that time. And so I would go up to work for a month and then come out for two weeks. And that kind of, that provided a, an easy transition from, from jail to real life because uh, being in a camp up north is, is not that much different than <laughs> yeah, yeah. being in jail. The, the food's a little bit better. <laughs> That first summer I went and I spent some time at a, at an ashram in Quebec and I um, learned different yoga techniques. Um, and as part of the Shivananda school of ashram, they're, they're big on pranayama, which is the, the yogic form of breath work. Mm. And I really started to, to see the power in the breath and, and really wanted to dive deeper into that. So integrated that into my practice and, and really saw some some huge benefits and in, in mental health and energy and focus and so I continued on that path for a while and then a few years after that it was when I kind of came into first contact with with Wim Hof which was through a Tim Ferriss podcast. Mm. That's, a, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, we know. Yeah, Tim. yeah, and, and no, that we episode, don't. and we don't know him personally, but I, I know the episode. And yes. it's a yeah, it's, it's a fantastic one. Yeah, yeah, and I was just really struck um, at that point with with Wim and his message, and just the the simplicity of it, mm-hmm. and you know, using using the power of the breath, using the cold, using the mind, and and also struck by his conviction, just how. Mm-hmm committed he was to that message and to sharing that with other people and so i, I tried out the the breathing and the cold exposure and you know and at that point was was feeling pretty good and doing fairly well in life again um but that was just the next level you know and it, i just i felt better i felt healthier i felt stronger than i ever had before and and so I, I knew that I wanted to learn more about that. And and it was just kind of all at that same time, there's a number of different things that happened and became aware of uh, different 
breathing techniques and I just decided that I, I wanted to become a breathing expert. It was having such a, an impact on, on how I was feeling that I just wanted to know everything I could about it. You know, it's so funny, the phrase breathing expert, because you technically we all are because we're doing it all the time. <laughs> but, but I know what you mean, actually being connected to it and aware of it and using it to your advantage through, through you know, I know you coach high performers, too. I mean, um, through athletics, not, not, you know, it's easy enough to connect to your breath, um, sitting in a nice room with a cup of tea, but doing that, doing a high, high intensity workout is another thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just, it, it's, the more you sort of look into it, it's, it's fascinating how much the breath can improve your performance um, and, and, and definitely lower your stress and anxiety. Um, I, I know we've hit our time, um, Jeff, so I, I'm going to kind of throw out my last question and then Andrew will, will do his thing. But um, when I think of your story, if I were to, if someone were to say, what's one word that can des- describe Jeff's story? And <laughs> here I am trying to come up with a word to describe your life. But for me, from my experience of this, the word control ha- has so men- so much meaning to me through your story. For your life starting off in many ways out of control, spectacularly out of control. And then I see somebody who's desperately trying to regain that control through a myriad of experiences. And then to finally land on the breath as the ultimate way that we can um, assert control back in our life, I think is, is it's beautiful. It's so simple um, in a way, right? It's simple, but also difficult in, until you learn. Um, and, and I just wonder if that resonates with you at all, just the, the sense of control, because we say controlling our breath, right? And, and wondering if, if that's, if you found that control, perhaps that, that maybe has been part of your journey. Well, I think at the end of the day, it's one of the only things that we can control. I was going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And so I, I think often we start looking outside of ourselves and, and, looking to try and control other people or situations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and inevitably that ends up being a little bit of a a fruitless uh, endeavor and so when we when we realize that and we realize that we have something within us that we always have access with access to it doesn't matter where we go or what we're doing like you said it's we always have the ability to to kind of tap into the breath and I often refer to it as an anchor, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, nobody knows that you're, you're focusing on your breath, you know, it's, and it, it's, it's omnipresent as long as we're alive, it, it's there. So it's, to me, it's the most powerful tool that we have that we can tap into. And I highly encourage people to, to go a little bit deeper into it and to start to understand how they can manipulate it and, and heal it uh, to to find more flow in their lives and, and to really reach a higher level of performance absolutely totally um and and if people want to do that the um your breath army facebook page is, is a great place to start um it any other pieces of advice and and i there, i have a bunch of questions i want to ask but um i'm gonna just leave it here um but any advice on how someone, if someone's struggling just in general, they might not have, they might not be sitting in a Mexican prison right now listening to this, but uh, it's unlikely they are. 
But they, they, everyone faces their own pieces of adversity and challenge. How might they know that focusing on their breath, doing breath work, is what they need in their lives? To anybody that doesn't have any experience with breath work, I just encourage them the next time that they're, they're feeling anxious, they're feeling overwhelmed, they're feeling stressed out, to just take two minutes and just settle into their body, just slow their breath down, bring their breath a little bit lower in their body, maybe try and feel a little bit of expansion in the lower ribs, breathe a little bit more softly, a little bit more gently, and just see how that impacts their state. And I think that will give people a pretty good idea of how really the way that we feel and the way that we breathe are inextricably intertwined. You can't separate those two. And so when you start to manipulate the breath and calm it down, slow it down, um, how that has a direct impact on, on how we feel and um, being able to find calm within our breath is uh, directly related to being, being able to find calm within our mind, calm within our lives. And, and calm is probably one of the greatest feelings of control. And ultimately, yeah. I love how your story kind of comes back to that in the end is you've also perhaps found that calm, which was not a word you probably would have used to describe your life the first <laughs> many years or decades. Yeah, just just the belief that everything's going to be okay. To me, that's kind of uh, encapsulates calm, just the sure. sense that everything's all right. And I think when we have that, we can get through anything. Absolutely, and that's a that's a great place to uh, to end off. And and Jeff, I just want to show our appreciation and and thank you so much for for sharing your story and and even just a a brief glimpse uh, because there's there's so much that you've been through and and um, an incredible story that that you have lived. I mean, it's it's a for, book. Yeah, for for <laughs> us, it's a story, and for you, it's that's the life that you have led up yeah. to this point. And and I remember you. In our first conversation, you said that you wouldn't trade your life for anything. And, and the fact that you have that perspective and that you've been through all of this and, and you have now the ability to teach and guide and instruct is, is just so incredibly inspirational. So I just want to thank you for all that and congratulate you even for, for what, um, what you've been through and, and what you do now. And it, it's, it's a really amazing journey and, and we very much appreciate you sharing it with us today. Well, thanks for so much for having me on, and and thanks for for sharing stories like these with people to to help inspire people through dark times and to help people get through or around or over the obstacles that they encounter in their lives. And when those people you're describing, that starts with us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, 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 it helps us, and uh, the yeah. fact that it helps others too is is just such a benefit of doing this. So, thank you so much. It was great to meet you finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, 
Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it's nothing to do with our fragile eagles. Well, uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourself. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles. <laughs>